Thank you, Pastor Hojin. Um, as you said, uh, my name is James, and it's really exciting to be here, uh, to be able to preach. Um, uh, it's my first time, but it, I think it's a privilege to, to be able to come and share a message. And, and a couple months ago when Pastor Bill asked me to uh, be a part of this two-week uh, workplace theology and the mission of God's sermon series, um, I was excited, but I didn't really know how important it would have been until, until now because this week as I was preparing for it, it was very life-giving for me. Uh, and um, thankfully, I get to share that with you too. Uh, so I want to give you a little intro and background on me. Uh, before I do, though, I want to give a little self-disclosure. Um, so ever since I was 10, uh, I've been, I've been di- I've diagnosed with this condition called Tourette's. And what that is is basically it's a neurological disorder that uh, makes whoever has it do vocal tics, so sounds, or motor tics, so movements, and they're involuntary. And, and so uh, if that happens, I don't want to be alarmed, um, but hopefully... I'll be able to, or God will be able to hold that back for me to share this message with you. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so my name is James. I, I recently graduated from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, uh, but before that, I was working as a consultant for about a year, uh, and before that, I was working in financial services for about four to five years. Um, so I've had some experience in the workplace, and the past two and a half years, I've been at uh, seminary finishing out my master's in religion degree with a concentration on workplace theology, uh, ethics, and leadership. And that's just a fancy way of saying, how do we merge our faith and our work together? Um, Other than that, I've been attending Cornerstone since 2009, and so it's been about six years, and I've come to really love this church uh, and everyone here. And so um, let's go into the message now. All right, so I want to give you some context before we actually dive into the passage. And here's the big picture. The big picture is, on the one hand, we have Satan, right? And his goal is to split relationships, right? That's what he wants. He may use different means to accomplish that, whether it's pain and suffering, financial struggles, gossip, infidelity, lust, insecurities. But his goal is to split relationships between you and and me, between each other, and between us and God. Right? God, on the other hand, he wants to reconcile relationships. Right? That's his goal. He wants to reconcile relationships between each other and between us and God. Right? So let's just look at the greatest commandment for an idea on, on what I'm talking about. Right? Mark 12 says this. Says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? What, he, what he's saying is, before when it was not possible because of sin, now it is because I want to reconcile you to me and you to each other. Right? That's what he said. That's what, that's what he's saying. But when God reconciles us, he's not just concerned with our spiritual well-being. He is concerned with also our physical health, our emotional health, and our psychological health. Take another look. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your emotions, your soul, your spirit, your mind, your psychological, uh, your mental capacity, and your strength, your physical strength. And it requires our full devotion because only when we fully surrender can he come into 
every area of our life and be Lord over it and care for it, right? So he wants to reconcile our entire being. But do you know how he carries out this reconciliation? Yes, it was through Christ, but after that, he carries it out through you and through me. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Right? So, so Jesus came and died and rose again and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? Us is not referring to only pastors and missionaries. Us is the church. As followers of Christ, we have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. Right? So in essence, we are all, as believers, in ministry. We are entrusted with this ministry to carry out. Okay? So how does work play in? Work plays in because work is a big part on how... And God uses work as a big part on how he carries out this ministry of reconciliation through us. Right? Think about it. Think about the food that we eat. Right? God wants uh, to give us our daily bread. And we know this because Jesus told us when we pray to ask God for our daily bread right? so he can give it to us. And he could have done it in so many different ways. Right? He could have just sent down bread from heaven, like he sent down manna from heaven for the Israelites. But he, instead, he, he uses the farmer. He uses uh, the truck driver. He uses the, the store, the, the market. Right? Just so that we can have food to eat. How does he care for our emotional health, or rather our psychological health? He uses counselors. He uses research and science. He uses therapists. What about our emotional health? Well, no matter what you're doing, most likely you're going to be working with people, right? And so there are relationships that happen. And if you want to be miserable at work, have miserable relationships. But if you want to really enjoy work, and you have good relationships, you're going to look forward to it every day, right? So, so that's how he can also care for our emotional health through work. So last week, Pastor Bill talked about how it's important to, to, um, to do excellent work because we serve an excellent God, and he doesn't do mediocre work, and we are called to reflect him. But God's not only concerned about how, we, or, or rather, the or what we do for work, like the content of our work and our competence, he's also concerned about how we do our work. And we can think about that as our character. So for that, let's look at our passage for today. And it's Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 9. And it says this. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So I want to give a little more context on this passage uh, so that we can understand a little more. Um, 
So Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, and this is a part of a greater uh, series, or sermon rather, that he's addressing to a household, right? So before this, he's talking about relationships between children and parents, husband and wives, and now he's talking to slaves and masters because it was very uh, common for slaves to be a part of the household. And the slaves here, back in biblical times, are not the same type of slaves that we've come to know in America, right? I'm not saying it was a good institution, I'm saying it's a different institution. So uh, slaves back then, it was more uh, in line with indentured servitude. Um, Or you could uh, be a prisoner of war, and to pay off that debt, you had to serve as a slave uh, for a while. It wasn't gender-based, it wasn't race-based, it wasn't permanent, and slaves had rights too. Um, But again, I'm not saying it was good, it was just different. Right? And, and Paul's not talking about uh, should we have slavery or not. He's, he's trying to address how we can live in the situation that we're in. Right? And, and I think we could still learn a lot about work in this passage. Because this, the relationship that slaves had with their masters, it was really, in a sense, a, a working relationship. Okay? So that's just the context here. And in the passage, uh, this passage right here, basically you could um, sum it up into three points. Right? On the one hand, Paul is saying, do this, and he gives us some things to do. On the other hand, he's saying, don't do this, and he gives us some things not to do. And the Bible never tells us to do something or not do something without giving us the ability to do it. And so there's the power to do this, and that's the third thing. Right? So do this, don't do this, and then the ability to carry it out. So what are we to do? Right? To slaves, he says, obey your earthly masters with what? With fear and trembling. Right? This is the same fear and trembling that we are called to approach Christ with. And this fear and trembling isn't uh, approach Christ uh, as if you were afraid of him. It's Approach him in a manner of reverence and respect, of awe, joy for who he is and what what he's done. And he's saying, the same way you would do that for God, approach your master with fear and trembling. And in case you missed it, it says it right there too, as you would Christ. Now, we don't have slavery here today, but in our context while we do have bosses and managers, directors, vice presidents, or whatever, right? And we are working under somebody, uh, most of us, or at some time we have been working under somebody. And so this could also apply to us. And God's saying, approach work in a way that you would approach me, with the same fear and trembling, the same respect and reverence. But he's not just saying that to the slaves, he also says that to the masters. It's masters. Do the same to them. Who's them? Them is the slaves. And and the same is, right there, is fear, approaching them with fear and trembling as you would Christ. So if you're in a position uh, where you're a manager or you have people under you, God is saying, approach those who you're leading, who you're managing, who you're directing with the same type of fear and respect and reverence that you have for me. Now, why would God put so much emphasis and importance on how we approach our work and our working relationships unless it was that important for us uh, to do so so that 
he can carry out his ministry of reconciliation through us, through our work. Let's go on. So that's the do part. And then it says not to do this, right? It says, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, but not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. And what that's saying is not only when they're looking, right? Not only when they're looking, but with a sincere heart, with honesty, with integrity. Look at the other words I use. From the heart, with a good will, right? Do we find ourselves doing that sometimes? Um, You know, when we're working, we might just do enough to get by. Well, when when I was working, uh, and I I don't condone this, but there was, I guess there were some some tricks, you can call it or whatever, uh, that that I had to make myself get even more noticed or seem uh, to be more of a harder worker than I really am, right? And and again, I'm not saying do this. I'm saying don't do this. Uh, But one thing was, you know, it, you could arrive five minutes before your boss and leave five minutes after your boss so that all your boss sees is that you're, you're at work the whole time and working hard, right? Or another one was, um, you know, you write an email to your boss and save it in your draft box. But don't send it until like 11 o'clock or so so that when your boss sees the timestamp, he or she thinks that you've been up late doing work, right? <laughs> but I'm saying, that, God's saying, don't do that. Right? Don't do that. That's the, tempta- the temptation is to just do enough to get by or, or to overwork, to put too much emphasis on what other people think of you. Right? That's the temptation. And that's why, and knowing that, they say, don't do it. Don't work as just a means of eye service, as people pleasers. But do it with a sincere heart. Now, to the masters, there's a different pro- prohibition. Right? Because he understands that the temptations that you have when you're in a position of power is going to be a little bit different. And it says this. It says, Masters, stop your threatening. Why would he say that? Right? Because we have a tendency that when we're in a position of authority or power, we have a tendency to abuse that, to want to exercise that, to make ourselves feel better. We start to think that we are better. <clears throat> And that other people are inferior. We strive for that, that, that PhD or that doctorate, for those initials before our name, for that title, the degrees, because we think that that's going to make us better. And then when we're there, we actually start to believe it. We want to feel valuable. Right? But God's saying, no, approach these people the same way you would approach me. Approach these people the same way you would approach me. Now think about this for a moment. Because when he's speaking to these slaves and these masters, this is a very bold statement, a very countercultural, very counterintuitive statement. Because these slaves, right, they were oftentimes neglected. They were ignored. They They went unnoticed. They were exploited. They were treated as inferior. And God is saying to the people that do that to you, Approach them the same way that you would approach me. And to the masters, he's saying, in a culture where, where striking fear in your enemies or, or uh, in a culture that really believed that the slaves were at the bottom of the totem pole and that it was okay to do that, he's telling them, no, treat them like you would treat me. Treat them like 
you would treat them better than you would treat yourself. Treat them like you would treat me, with fear and trembling. How could they say such a bold claim to them? It's because of the gospel, right? If you look, can we go to the next slide? All right, it says, we're, we're serving as servants of Christ and as to the Lord and not to man. And what that's saying is when we're working, we're really working for the Lord, right? We're really working for the Lord. We're not working for the master. All our work is important. It's an important part of the ministry of reconciliation that God has entrusted us with. If you go to the next slide, it says, look, and when you're working for the Lord, he's telling the slaves, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or is free. Right, to the slave, what, what he's going to struggle with, what he's going to wrestle with, because he's been unnoticed and neglected all the time, is if I do good and the master doesn't see, if I really work with a sincere heart, Will I receive my reward? Will I be noticed? And God is saying, yes, you will. Even if your master, even if the world doesn't see, you don't have to go in five minutes before your boss and five minutes after your boss. I see, I notice. You don't have to pretend like you're working till 11 o'clock. I notice. Put in a good, good day of work, be faithful in it, and then don't worry, and then relax. Do it with integrity. Do it with honesty. To the master, he says this. He says, he's, he's reminding them. He says, he who is both their master, so the, the master of the slave, and yours, and your master, is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. What is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying, look, I know you think that you are better than the slave, but let me remind you, You are also my slave, my servant. And the slave that you think is inferior, he is also my servant. Ultimately, there is really only one master and servant relationship, and that's between God and everybody else. And in his eyes, there is no partiality. So what he's doing is, right now, we tend to think, uh, whether it's back then or now, whether we use master as slave or doctorate and blue-collar, white-collar, blue-collar, we tend to think of it as, as this, right? So there's, there's the master here and the slave here. But God's saying, no, look, to the slave, I know, I'll notice, I notice. And whether you're a slave or whether you're free, I will reward you. There is no difference to me. And to the master, he's humbling him down back to, back to level ground. And he's saying, look, you're no better, you're no different than the one who you think is inferior to you. But that's still not easy, right? We tend to think, I can't go into work tomorrow and serve a fool. I just can't. It's too hard. They're too hard to love. Uh, They seem incompetent. I could do a better job. But no, you can. You can serve a fool. If you understand the gospel. If you understand the gospel. Because while we were still enemies with God... Jesus came and he died for us. We weren't a fool. We were enemies with God. And he came and he died for us on the cross. 
Now, whether maybe you have a, a, a feeling that you are just better than other people, that, uh, that other people are below you, or you look down upon them. Maybe you neglect them. Maybe you just indirectly uh, don't give them the, the respect and reverence that God's calling for. But remember that Jesus, even though he was God, in the form of God, he didn't take that status, equality with God, as something to grasp and hold on to, as something to flaunt. But he made himself nothing to the point of death on the cross so that we can have life, so that we can partake in this ministry together through our work. Do you see how the gospel changes how we even work and the relationships that we have at work? That is how, that is the power behind this, this, uh, this message of do this and don't do this. Approach your work, approach the people at work the same way you would approach me. Not only when they're looking, but with sincerity of heart. So what does this mean? Um, you know, how could we carry this out? It, sometimes we overcomplicate things. You know, workplace, when, when we think of workplace theology, we think, oh, just going into work and evangelizing all the time. But that's not true. That's not true. That's, that's a part of it, and that's an important part of it. But, you know, how can we be a good teacher? If you're in education, how do you be a good teacher? Just teach well. Put in hard work. Be faithful in it. Teach well. And know that when you're teaching... You're reflecting a part of God who is the ultimate teacher. You know, if you're in business, if you're in finance, if you're an entrepreneur, do it well. And know that you're reflecting a part of God who is the ultimate creator of wealth, who shares it. He wants everyone to flourish. Doesn't just hoard it. <clears throat> and if you're an engineer, do the best that you can and be the best engineer that you can. Know that you're reflecting a part of God who is the ultimate creator. If you're in art, Know that you are uh, reflecting his creativity. Maybe, maybe you are uh, a janitor. Maybe you are a cab driver. Maybe the best that you can be. There is no difference. There is no partiality. And know that you're reflecting a part of God who delivers us from place to place, who guides us, who cleans up after our mess. Everything is needed for our life to flourish. And God uses it all to reconcile people. There is no tear. There is no difference. You know, when Jesus could have come as anything, but he came as a blue-collar worker. He came as a carpenter. He also got down on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. He did the work of the slave. And we wouldn't say that he's, any, he's worth any less because he did so. In fact, that kindness, that act of humility is the very reason why we can get down on our knees and worship him. Right? So our work, we should be excited about our work. We should think that our work is important no matter what we're doing because it plays a big part in the ministry that we've been entrusted with. You know, I've, I've been talking a lot about work um, and, and I understand that not everyone will be working. Maybe you're a student. Be the best student you can be. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe you're unemployed. And, um, you know, that can be very frustrating. That could be a struggle because we were meant to work and reflect God in that way and, and we can't or we aren't. 
And I can say that I fully understand what that's like because as I finished out my master's degree uh, and I wanted to go into the startup community, I was uh, interviewing with this job and it was a long process and it was going really well. Uh, and so well that I let my guard down and became overconfident and it fell through and it was devastating. So currently, I am unemployed and trying to regroup and look at my next steps. Right? So I understand what that can be like. But then I'm reminded of Jeremiah, where God says, before, he's speaking to Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And when you were born, I consecrated you. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that God was very intentional when he was creating each and every one of us. It was very intentional. He was thinking, what talents should I give this child of mine? What shortcomings should I give this child of mine? What experiences should I lead him to, lead him or her through, so that they could be molded and shaped to carry out the very purpose that I have for them? And so for whatever season that you're in, whatever work that you're doing, know that it is not a mistake. That God is in full control and that he does use it for his glory, for his kingdom, for the goal of reconciling people to him and to himself, to each other. All right? So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who could have done everything yourself, could have done everything yourself, but instead you choose to um, use us and partner with us in carrying out your kingdom work, Lord. And even though that might make it more difficult because we aren't as good and we mess up, even though we may not listen and obey and be faithful all the time, even though we aren't as wise as you, you still choose to use us because we are your children and you want us to feel and understand and experience the same joy that you have when you care for people in this world. And work is one way that you do that, Lord. So we thank you for all the talents and gifts that you've given us. We thank you for our shortcomings even, the experiences that we've gone through. And we pray that we can get a better glimpse as to how you view work so that we can merge our faith and work together and not leave you at church on Sunday, but also take you into our working lives throughout the week, Lord. So will you continue to speak through us, continue to minister to us and do your good work in us. In your son's name we pray, amen.